You're listening to Girls in Glory. Girls in Glory is a podcast giving you a 360-degree view of women's sport. This podcast will bring you the stories from the best female athletes, as well as giving you access to the support staff that help these women perform at their peak. You'll also hear from the media personalities who've been championing the women's game and the administrators and key decision makers who have been kicking the women's sport movement forward. I'm your host, Holly Ferling. I'm a cricketer, a journalist, and a lover of all things women's sport. Hi, everyone. I hope you're all doing well in isolation and you're finding ways to keep yourself busy and active during this time. Here at Girls and Glory, we've found a way to record remotely so we can keep bringing you as many episodes as we can. The only downside is that the audio quality may not be the same level as our other episodes, but hopefully you don't notice too much of a difference in the coming weeks and months. We have another hack episode for you this week, and it's Olympic silver medalist Taylor McEwen. Taylor shares her tips to becoming an elite swimmer, as well as giving us an insight into what her training looks like now that coronavirus has put her year of swimming on hold. Let's get into it. Taylor joins us for a hack episode where she shares her tips and tricks for her swimming events and and also just what she's learned in life so far. So Taylor, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. What's your biggest tip for staying active in coronavirus right now? How are you going about your training? It can be quite hard for swimmers in particular to stay motivated during this time because we don't have a pool to go and be competitive in. Um, so I've just been trying to do things and improve on myself in other areas, which I might not have been as good at before. So, um, at the moment I'm really working on my upper body fitness. So, uh, for example, yesterday in my gym circuit, I challenged myself to do as many push-ups as I could within 40 seconds and then was trying to beat that every time. So if you can find ways during this time to still be competitive, or still find enjoyment out of exercise. I think that's the most important thing. Um, and then also just like reminding, I always try to remind myself of what the long-term goal is. So we know that Olympics has a date next year um, and now I can finally replan and re-motivate and do everything in my power outside of the pool to make sure that once I go back, I can jump on that um, training schedule for Olympics and give it my best. And what's your best training tip when you are, I guess, back to, to normal training? Um, one of my favorite things to say to myself, particularly when I'm hurting so bad in a training session, I always think like, okay, what would the best in the world do in this situation? And if I'm not doing what the best in the world would be doing, then there's no point in me doing it. I should stop. So I always try to think like, okay, well, would the best in the world in this situation cry because they're in pain and give up or the best in the world push through and you know try and still hit goal times and try and maintain a good technique so I always stay motivated by thinking about what my international competitors might be doing um, and then also uh, with like time standards that I already have in training so I think if you can go to training sessions or competitions and just work on improving yourself in whatever area area you can, then that's always a positive. So just trying to get the best out of yourself when given the opportunity is generally a good tip. I love speaking to different athletes and 
you individual athletes are a, a complete different breed to, to us in the in the team sports. But something I'm always like finding out is what is your competitive mindset? And I guess, how did you go about uncovering it? Because I think everyone's slightly different in terms of how they're wired and, and how they get up for a, a, a massive meet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, having someone that you really love to beat is an awesome way to race. Um, So for me, whenever I'm racing my sister, I always try my hardest to beat her. And no matter how hard you're hurting, if you're so competitive, you'll do whatever your body can physically handle to try and beat that other person. So I think having like a naturally competitive spirit is super important. Um, But also being driven within yourself is just as important because if you're not driven to try and achieve your best, then, (laughs) you know, what have you got? So, um, yeah, I think people in those individual team sports have to be super switched on to want to get the best out of themselves. But yeah, also uh, (laughs) getting the best out of, I guess, the event, trying to beat as many people as possible. And how do you deal with nerves, particularly with a, a, a massive event like the Olympics or Commonwealth Games? Yeah, dealing with nerves and anxiety is something that I'd had to work really hard on um, because I'd noticed um, events where I swim well, I don't feel as nervous and the positive self-talk is really good and I'm able to knuckle down and focus on myself and what I need to do per each phase of my race to get the best result. And when I race that way and I think about the process, I always have the best outcome. But when I look at an event like, the 2016 Olympics, um, you know, I was swimming out of lane four. So I was fastest qualifier into that 200 breaststroke final. And all I could remember thinking about was like, oh my God, you know, I've got to race the world record holder. And then I was like, oh my God, on the other side, there's like Yulia Efimova, who's one of the Russian swimmers involved in multiple drug events anyway. And then, you know, racing the girl who had posted the fastest time that year. And I was thinking so much about my competitors and where they might be at each stage of the race. Um, And then I was thinking about Australia's expecting me to win because I'd gone in favourite. So there was a lot of things I was over-processing that were out of my control. Whereas looking back, I should have been able to block out all of those negative influences and just think about what I needed to do in that situation to better myself. So I think having the ability to deal with those nerves is super important. Um, because it's very easy to tip it over where you can let those nerves and adrenaline kind of take over your body. And if you go and watch my 200 breaststroke from the 2016 Olympics, you'll see that I'm out super fast in the first 100 metres, and that's the nerves and the adrenaline taking over. And then after that, the burn kind of starts to kick in. I, I ended up finishing fifth, so that's a classic example, and that was a super hard way to learn. Um, but, you know you got to learn at some point, right? So I've made a conscious effort ever since that to try to go into each race relaxed and do the best that I can within myself. You float on well to my next question. How much tactical preparation goes into, um, I, I guess, a race? Is the is the focus on um, some of your competitors and how you go about beating them or is it completely internal and, and what you're doing? I think the biggest trap you can fall into in individual sports is looking at someone who's better than you and trying to copy them Um, because everybody's so different. So the whole idea is the fastest athlete is the one who can make, 
make their race work best for their body. So there's no point me going to try and copy, uh, I guess, someone who's shorter than me, like one of the Japanese girls, because their body composition is totally different. So what works for them in a race would not work for me. So the best athletes are the ones who can do the best with what they're given. So I don't really compare myself internationally to my competitors. Everything I do in training is about what is going to work best for me and trying to hit my times and trying to work on my stroke so that when I go to race, it's my race and I'm not comparing myself to everybody else and I'm not getting distracted by my competitors. Like you do, you do take note of the way other people race. Um, like I know certain athletes will hold back for the first half of the race and then really take off in the second half. Whereas the sprinters, for example, in 200 meters, they might be out really fast in the first half, but because they don't have that aerobic system, they might die off in the second half. And everyone's going to do whatever they can to get the best time overall. You've just got to do whatever works for you. Routines are really important for all athletes um, and important to note the different two superstitions. Um, what, are yep. your, what are your routines before a before a meet, whether it be um, a, a smaller event or something like the Commonwealth Games or Olympic trials or Olympics? Yeah, I'm not I'm not superstitious at all. Um, I do things in swimming to make it fun. So, like before a major competition, I'll go and get my nails painted, <laughs> and I'll tr- I'll try and get them painted to match the color of my goggles. And when I look at my race kit, I want to have like a cap that might match my suit and then goggles that might match a color that's in my race suit as well. So I like to try and have everything looking good. (laughs) Um, Like I'll go get my eyelashes done. I'll get my eyebrows tinted. So there's a bit of beauty preparation in the lead up to a competition. Um, But that's about all I do. That's really in a routine in the lead up. Other than that, it's just like, you know, you get to the warm up pool two hours before your race, you spend the first hour, activating chilling out relaxing and then the second hour is warming up physically in the pool um which is standard for pretty much every swimmer but then it's actually quite interesting when you watch swimmers behind the block because some people are super superstitious and they will have a very set routine that of weird things they'll do before they get up on the blocks and dive in whereas other swimmers can be like totally blasé and like wave to the crowd and and muck around and talk to their competitors um personally once I'm walking out behind the blocks and they've announced whatever race I'm in, I kind of switch off and I'll stop talking to my competitors. I'll think about once I get behind my block, I need to take my jacket off. Then I adjust the kicker on the block to whatever position I like it in. Um, I'll lean down and I'll splash myself with the pool water. And that's for two reasons. I like kind of feeling what the water temp's going to be like. And I like um, putting water down my race suit to help it stick to my body. Um, after that, I always kind of listen to what number they're up to announcing to know when I need to get ready to hop up on the block. So I'm very attentive in that time. Um, but once, you know, they say they blow the whistle to say, take your marks, then it's pretty much like all in the zone. Like you're ready to dive in and just do what your body does naturally. What is, what does best preparation look like, um, for a race, whether it be the 24 hours before, or even, uh, I guess, extending out to, um, what's your last block of training look like before an event? Do you taper off or are you finding that you're still um, training really hard for those last couple of weeks? Yeah, it, it varies depending on what competition we're doing, but we can use Olympics, uh, sorry, and Olympics as an example. Um, so the six-month period before an Olympics is super tailored. Um, the first couple of months will be long meters, 
uh, pacing, trying to build up a big aerobic capacity. And then the middle period is super race specific. So we'll try and hit race times in training. Um, we'll do very race specific events in training. Um, and then about two weeks out, we will cut back. So we will taper off the amount of work that we're doing so that our bodies are refreshed and we're not going into race under fatigue, um, which certainly gives us the best opportunity to race fast at that given Olympics. Um, but within that six month period, ideally you'd love to be able to build the confidence of hitting PB times within training for whatever session we might be doing at the time. And just trying to feel good about your race skills and getting good feedback from our sports scientists. You know, I felt good leading into the Rio Olympics that my dives had improved because I remember the sports scientists telling me that I was getting really good speed off the block. So for me, that was such an, a, such a positive improvement. Um, but also in that lead up to that Olympics, physically, I was in the best shape of my life. I was hitting PB times in training and I was going quite fast. So I knew that I was on for a good one that year. Um, so ideally that's what you want that six month period leading into look like. Um, but in terms of the short period right before you race, so 24 hours, I guess you, you need to know what's coming up and you need to know what you need to eat and how much sleep you need to get and how you need to conduct yourself as an athlete in that period to get the most. So just making really smart decisions. Um, yeah, to just give yourself the best opportunity, I guess. What's been the biggest learning since the start of your career, whether that's in or, or out of the pool? Oh, that's a really tough question. I guess um, in terms of racing, the biggest thing I've learned is not to compare myself to others and not try and mimic what others are doing. Um, and I've definitely come to realise that when you focus on the process and you can tick things off along the way, um, that's always the best way to go about giving yourself the fastest time or the best outcome. Um, and I think goal setting, um, I come to realize in my last couple of years um, that goal setting is super important because if you don't have something to strive for or something that you really want, you're not going to really push yourself through the pain in training to get there. So yeah, in terms of like swimming, I guess those are a couple of key areas that I've really learnt along the way. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I can't really think of too much else that I've learned other than those two. And what does it take to make an Olympics or a Commonwealth Games? Um, to make an Olympics for, um, for me in the 200 breaststroke, for example, I have to place top two and I have to swim faster than the qualifying time. Um, and usually the qualifying time is set at a standard, which is around eighth place in the world. So to even make an Australian team, you have to be sitting, you know, top 10 in the world, which is a very, very high standard. Um, and it, it varies though. Um, so for Commonwealth Games, because it's a smaller number of countries, more people can be involved. So usually they'll take top three as long as third place gets under the B standard. So Commonwealth Games is a little more lenient. Um, whereas world championships and Olympics is super strict. Like if you don't get top two and you don't get the qualifying time, you don't go like, it's that simple. It's completely cutthroat, isn't it? Oh, it is cutthroat and you either make it or you don't, you know, and if you don't make it, then you've got to totally replan what you're going to do next to best prepare yourself so that next time you don't miss out. So would it be safe to say then that literally every training session and everything that you put into those two years preparing goes towards one of those events yes certainly and that's why goal setting is so important because 
you need to have an end goal to be able to keep yourself focused on what you're doing in the meantime to get you there. And lastly, what advice would you have for any swimmers out there or, or even any youngsters as well that want to compete at the elite level in another sport? I would say dream big because my the first time I ever dreamt of going to the Olympics was when I was in grade seven. And we were two weeks away from graduating out of primary school and our grade seven teacher got us to write down what our goals were for high school and then life out of high school. And I remember writing on mine that... <laughs> It's so funny. I said I wanted to follow in Liesl Jones's footsteps and become an Olympian, which at the time I didn't really understand how big of a deal that was and how hard that was going to be. But, you know, I dreamt big. Um, and then as I went through swimming, it became more and more achievable. And I kind of felt like, holy crap, you know, I could be an Olympian. Like, this is wild. So dream big and really push yourself to get there because you never know what you're capable of unless you really strive for it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for your time, Taylor. We've really enjoyed getting to know you and and also, I guess, your tips and tricks that have helped you along the way in your career. So thanks again and and good luck for this next year. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, no problem. I hope you can take something out of that if you're listening and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Taylor. It is a really interesting time for a lot of athletes at the moment who aren't sure of when their next tournament or competition will be. If you like this episode, make sure you spread the word about Girls in Glory. I also love hearing all of your suggestions about who you would like to be the next guest on the podcast, so keep them coming in. I'll see you in the next episode.